Welcome to episode number 20 of Where Wine Takes You, where we use candid conversation to give you a genuine inside look at Paso Wine Country, its places, and its people that make it one of the fastest growing and most beloved wine regions around. I'm your host, Adam Montiel. Well, this show is going live right ahead of Earth Day. And for this episode, it makes sense to talk about the region's collective and individual take on being a good steward of the earth. In this episode, you will hear a lot of words that are too often becoming marketing or catchphrases like sustainability, organic, etc. Words that can get lost in the fray and in the real meaning, but we're going to define some of these for you and show you how many pastel producers are truly walking the walk when it comes to being mindful of the earth they've been blessed with to make these world-class wines. We actually have three conversations to get into today, so I am excited to get right into the show. Today, we're going to talk to Andy Niner of Niner Wine Estates, also Kevin Willenborg, who is the winemaker for Vina Robles Winery. Both these brands put their money where their mouth is when it comes to sustainability and more. Now, to help us sort out some of these phrases and practices, I chatted with Beth Vukmanik. She's of the Vineyard Team. You may have seen signs visiting Paso Wine Country that say SIP certified. What the heck does that mean? Well, Beth explains the significance of being sustainable in practice, as well as some of the other good work that the Vineyard Team is all about. Cheers, Beth. Good to see you. Good to see you too, Adam. Well, you know, in this episode, we're going to be talking about, look, it's publishing right around uh, Earth Day. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm thinking of like the old Earth Day food and wine festivals with you guys. And um, it's really cool. We're going to talk to Andy Niner from Niner Wines. We're going to talk to uh, Kevin Willenborg from Vino Robles. Mm -hmm. You know, both places, SIP certified. People will drive by and see that sign, SIP certified. I want to talk about what the vineyard team and your organization does. And then what does SIP certified really mean? Yeah, definitely. So SIP Certified is one of the Vineyard Team's programs, but the Vineyard Team was founded in 1994 right here on the Central Coast, and our goal is to promote sustainable wine growing, so our foundation is in education. We do a ton of that. So um, outside of COVID times, we would do a lot of infield trainings, which would be on whatever's a relative, you know, resource issue that year, whether it be a pest or irrigation efficiency or even safety training for staff. You know, people are our most valuable resource. We have a three-day sustainable ag expo where we get to bring in people from all over the globe to talk about science and research on viticulture. And then we also have a sustainable wine growing podcast for people who really love to get into the nitty gritty. And then SIP Certified is our certification program that shows that the wine grower is taking care of the people and the planet. So they have to implement and document a set of practices that cover absolutely everything from habitat conservation to water quality. It's very comprehensive. Very comprehensive. Yeah, exactly. To sustainable business practices, all audited by independent inspectors. And then that lets somebody know that their wine was made with care. Yeah. And I know uh, one of my conversations years ago with Andy Niner, he was in this pilot program to even take being SIP certified beyond the vineyards and into the cellar, into the winery itself. Yes, exactly. So the vineyard program launched in 2008, and it's roots actually go back to a self-assessment in 96. We've been doing this a long time. But sustainability doesn't just end in the vineyard, right? You know, we're talking about a full block-to-bottle process. And, and so that looks at every part of the winery now. So now we're really looking a lot at water conservation, energy, recycling, and then still those pieces of how the people are being taken care of and how the business can be sustainable for the long haul. You know, that's so interesting. And that is a huge piece of the puzzle. I've had the pleasure of being able to work with you and the folks at the Vineyard team for many years. And the people are a huge piece of the puzzle and more than the morale, but how they're treated, the equity of it all. We'll talk about this investment that uh, members that are SIP certified are investing into the people. Yeah, it's such a huge component. You know, the people are the ones that do the work, right? And we all feel more valued and will do more for the company that we work for when we feel that we are valued by that organization. So, you know, things that we look at are competitive wages, 
medical care um, benefits and a lot of education. You know, I, I know at least me personally at the Vineyard team, I've had so much opportunity for continuing education and that just furthers me and my, you know, abilities to do a good job and that helps the organization too. So that's a big, big part of SIP certified. Now let's differentiate for someone who may be listening to these interviews coming up in a few minutes and you're going to hear words like sustainability. You'll hear words like SIP certified. You'll hear words like organic. You'll hear words like biodynamic. When do these circles and these Venn diagrams collide? When and how are they separate? How are they distinct? Great question. So with sustainability, so SIP certified stands for sustainability in practice. So that's really what we're focusing on is sustainability. We like the three P's. People, planet, prosperity. So that's that holistic approach to sustainable wine growing. And there's certainly overlap with other programs like organics and biodynamics that you mentioned in things like um, soil quality and biodiversity. And what sustainability does is we're looking at other areas too, like recycling, like the human you know, social equity aspect, like the business sustainability as well. You know, Beth, a couple folks on this podcast have mentioned something that was new to me, and that's the idea of regenerative farming. This must be something that you've been hearing about probably for a while in your business, but something, I mean, I think a lot of people are hearing, you know, new because you're just starting to see wineries really kind of get into it. Um, What is your kind of take on regenerative farming and how that's even distinct and different from all the stuff we've been hearing about over the last few years, like the things you just explained? Yeah, regenerative agriculture is definitely becoming a popular term now, and there's a lot of aspects of regenerative agriculture that are already incorporated within SIP certified. So I'd say it's sort of a component of what we're doing. And that has a lot to do with taking care of the soil. Um, You know, there's not like crop rotation with vineyards, but, you know, in other crops, that would be a thing. Regenerative agriculture is really big in the cattle industry. So, you know, making sure that you're grazing appropriately, like not overgrazing an area. So a lot of practices that are used in regenerative agriculture are also incorporated into SIP certified too. Vineyardteam.org is the website if folks want to learn more about it. One way that you guys are so good and generous in the way you guys give back are these scholarships. Like I've been to some of the events and seen the faces on some of these workers who are getting a scholarship or for the kids. I mean, it's really cool the way you guys give back. And I'd be remiss if I had the opportunity to have you here and let's not talk about your scholarship program. Yeah, thanks so much for bringing it up. So it's the Vineyard Team One Navarra's Memorial Scholarship. And we've had this higher education scholarship since 2015. And we've raised $96,000 since then. Amazing. Which is phenomenal. And most of our recipients have been first generation college kids. They're all family members of people who are members of our organization. And so this year we are honoring one who's been a beloved member of the Central Coast wine industry for a long time. And we've had very generous donors from people like Niner Wine Estates, um, and, you know, Pebble and Terry Smith and Justin Smith with Saxum. So we're really, really grateful to our donors that are helping support these students and their future. Yeah, the scholarships is such a cool thing that you guys do. And I think educating folks who, you know, maybe they're weekend warriors, maybe they're, they're diving in deep to wine, but I really hope that this conversation, especially right around Earth Day, can shed some, some light on to some of the practices that wineries here in Paso are really, really focused on to be good stewards of the planet and of each other. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's a great thing to go, you know, wine tasting, ask about it. What, what a fun way to learn more about the wine in your glass than how it was made. And I'm sure if you can go to vineyardteam.org, you could check out and look at a list of your members, see who's SIP certified in Paso and beyond. Yeah, exactly. I love it. Beth, always so good to talk to you. It's great to catch up. Yeah, you too. So give me that time. We'll get by. We pass on around till the job is camped out in the trees. It will simplify good company. Thanks to Beth Bukmanik from the Vineyard team. And now the next time you're coming into a winery and see that SIP certified sign, you know exactly what it means. To our first visit we go, we start out on the west side, Niner Wine Estates, a picturesque setup along Highway 46. And you can't miss Niner because of Heart Hill, an oak grove in the shape of a heart that has been there long before Niner Wine Estates or their world-class vineyards that now grow surrounding it. The wine here is just fantastic, as is the team. I've talked many times with their winemaking team on the air, who I love, as well as the folks in the tasting room, the restaurant. Everyone here is such great company. I show up to the winery, meet up with Andy Niner. It's been far too long, and he knows and remembered exactly what I'm about. He's already got a few different bottles ready to taste.
Cheers. Good to see you. It's Good to see you too. Yeah. I know. I know. I miss being up here. It's so, it's so much fun to be up here. The crew up here is so cool. And um, I thought it was so perfect to talk to you when we're talking about, you know, I mean, we're, this is going to be publishing right around Earth Day. And you guys have been taking just a mindful approach in a lot of different facets. That's always been really, really important to you. Yeah, totally. From the beginning, and I think it's kind of a mentality where we can always do better, so we're still working on it. How do you kind of assess where things are? So, I mean, yeah, you want to feel good. You want to let you know your fans know that you are doing your best, and they, people who are doing their best, they like to patronize you know companies that are doing theirs, and you're you know you're a part of this whole ecological thing. How are you kind of keeping with like, okay, what what's what's new? What can we do better? Constantly riding that like, are we doing enough? But yeah, we are. I mean, our hearts are in it, you know. So yeah, no, we actually we're starting to do a lot of that um so basically the the goal is sustainability regardless i think of which kind of on the marketing end which uh framework you work under um or even operating the goal is you've got a closed box and you want to limit as many inputs into that box as possible having your land in balance and not using too much packaging and all the things that go into that and I think for us, we're constantly analyzing our impact across all the different dimensions, like water and waste and you know packaging and all those different things, getting an understanding of where we can do better. And then you can't fix everything at once, right? So you have to create kind of a path that over you know, 20 years, you are making the small steps that ultimately build into something that's really interesting and unique and special, and you're limiting your impact in the aggregate. Where is it harder to do that? Is it in the winery? Is it in the, the vineyard itself? Is we're, it in the marketing? We're focused on the vineyard right now, mostly. Um, that's not to say we don't have things to focus on in the winery and on the tasting room side. But in the vineyard and on the farming side, there are real trade-offs there that we need to get smarter about and constantly. So water use, how do you get smarter every year and use less water? How do you recapture more every year for us? We have pretty significant recapturing machine uh, systems here. But how do we get better at that? We're constantly challenging that process. It's just really cool to see how, what Niner has really become because it's really like a institution on the 46 West now. I mean, with oh, the nice. food, with the quality of wine, with the scene. with I mean, it's, it's really become quite a thing. We're trying. I think we have a lot to do, but I'm proud of what everyone here that has worked towards has done. Like, I think it's pretty neat. You talk about what Niner is known for as far as like the wines you make and the vibe here. So I think on the on the wine side, we're all estate, and I think that makes us unique. Um, in Paso, there's a lot of estate producers, so maybe not in this little region, but when you get into the larger wine world, especially these days, I think estate is especially rare or getting rarer. So we farm all the land that we make wine from. We have two primary places we farm. We farm down in San Luis Obispo, 30 miles south, but couldn't be more different from both a wine characteristic perspective and also how you farm. And then also up here, uh, we have two vineyards. Up here, we do primarily Bordeaux. So I've got some Bordeaux wines to show you. And then down in um, the coastal Edna Valley, we do Pinot, Chard, and I brought some Albarino to taste you on. When you have folks that come into the tasting room, how excited are they to taste some of these wines that maybe are, you know, need to be grown in cooler areas that you have just, you know, like you said, 30 miles south? Honestly, I think it's a it's an advantage for us because I think we have well-made wines from a coastal region that aren't the same thing that you get as you go door to door in Paso. So I think it is refreshing to see kind of a different take on wine in in the same tasting room. And the food game here is very unique. I mean, I yeah. remember when you guys first put that kitchen together. Yeah. I was like, well, I mean, this kitchen would make any chef melt. The kitchen is incredible in there. It's a chef's dream. And you guys have really become known for your food. You've won awards nationally at being a, a winery restaurant, things like that. I mean, it's really become, it's a benchmark here. Yeah, it's a good, I, I feel like it's an integral part to the wine scene. Wine and food should go together. And for us, they're interchangeable and it's Kind of nice to be able to sit down at our tasting room, look at the vines where your wine came from, and eat really good food. Is it um, like bites that you're doing with tastings, or it's a full-on restaurant? What's the scene right now? We do full-on lunch service, and with COVID, we had to get creative, so we serve it picnic style in what's called a tiffin. And our chef actually had worked in Indonesia for three years before coming here, and they had those stackable kind of stainless steel closed box containers. So he was familiar with them, and then COVID came along, and we had to figure out how to be safe, and it just seemed like a no-brainer. We'll pack them in these kind of picnic style baskets. We don't touch your food when it gets from the chef to you and you just 
go for it. So. I know you are SIP certified. Beth was just on this podcast just a little earlier. What is your packaging and the way you look at the way you do it? What's your framework? I think if someone just wants a soundbite, you you go to your certifications. So for us, that is we're weed certified in our building. So that speaks to how your buildings are built and set up. And we're SIP certified in both the vineyard and the winery. So if someone wants a two-second clip and something easy to understand, that's where we go. And weed speaks to how you're built, SIP speaks to how you operate, and it's just kind of a third party that says, yeah, these guys said what kind of do. They they put their money where their mouth is. Yeah, exactly. If someone wants to go deep, then you get out of that certification game and you get into the specific kind of different areas of sustainability and how you're being thoughtful. And I think that's when it gets interesting because then you get outside of, well, the debate between all these different certifications and you say, well, what are your problems in the vineyard and how are you trying to get your head around it? And then you open it up, especially in the producer community. I feel like everyone's really open about it, whether you're biodynamic or organic or SIP certified or a combination of them. And you're saying, how are you tackling these pretty tough problems trying to be sustainable at the same time? What's one of the bigger challenges of a winery who is trying to keep a mindful take on all this, but you know, maybe somebody bigger than you, smaller than you, you guys are all feeling what in this journey? I think it depends on your land. Um, we have different problems at different vineyards sure. that we're trying to tackle. Um, honestly, I think the biggest problem is the operational rigor that goes into it. So you have to be really good at measurement to understand your baseline. And then you have to be really close to the land and your problems to be able to understand exactly what's going on. And then I think where we've made mistakes and also where other people make mistakes is you try and get too far ahead of your problem and you take baby steps getting there in the vineyard. And then over 10 years, you say, wow, we you know completely eliminated the use of, I'll make it up, but herbicides. And that's awesome. But if you really try and go from zero to 60 overnight, then you're going to be frustrated because you didn't understand exactly what your problems were and you just kind of get out of balance and get kind of it becomes more challenging for you so i think it's having the discipline to really rake yourself over the coals every year but then develop practical plans to get where you want to go that aren't all of a sudden like we got to get way ahead of our skis here and what's like your winemaking play here um it starts you know we're all estates so ultimately that means it's about the vineyard and it's about telling the story of the vineyard and it's about understanding the farming, getting better at that and then following through in the winery. So I think that's really our map as a vineyard. We started out, you know, 20 years ago on the farming side, trying to figure it out. And it took us probably 10 years to get to a good place there. And now it starts compounding on itself. So you figure out the vineyard and then you start experimenting in the winery with different ways of approaching it and telling the vineyard story. And you start to get in a rhythm there where your quality is going up every year. And I feel like we're there. We know where to focus now. Our quality's going up and we just have to keep that ball rolling and stay, you know, pretty vigorous and raking ourselves over the coals in terms of what we can do better. Do you want to be known as, um, for certain wines, for certain kinds of wines? I want to be known as a really high quality estate producer over the long term. I try and stay out of the short term. We're a Zen house. We're a cab house. And the marketing game, like, I think it's almost like trying to be cool in high school where (laughs) if you're too concerned with that, you're going to lose your eye on the long term game. So for us, I think we're we're, playing long ball with this one for sure. We have an awesome team. We're heads down trying to figure out how to increase our quality. And that's all we pay, you know, yeah. for the most part. You ever think like, oh, you know, um, let's add another skew. We've got some good rones. Let's do a, ro- a new roan white blend. Or, um, yeah, like you said, I'm a whore for the white roan blend. Or, but, you know, let's do a new Bordeaux blend. Or yeah. uh, let's do a reserve fog catcher, even though it's already a high-end wine. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. We've evolved our wines as we've seen what kind of quality has come off our vineyard. So an example here, you're staring at Hard Hill Vineyard. We've seen Cabernet, Petit Verdot, and Malbec like just shine. We have Cab Franc, but in every odd year, it doesn't do well. And Merlot hasn't done well here. So you all of a sudden say, all right, you've got awesome Cab, Petit Verdot, and Malbec. You're going to do a few different blends that star each one of those independently, and then you're going to do one that combines them, which is essentially Fog Catcher. Yeah. So you kind of respond to what the vineyard's giving you, Yeah. and you embrace it, and then you figure out how to tell that story. You sell any fruit, too? Um, here and there, but we're not good at selling fruit. I think we're, you know, we're focused on our own program. Sure. Yeah. Um, the 
Grenache Blanc, awesome. We just had the yeah. Albarino. That's Edna Valley. That's Edna. Yeah, so we have four acres of Albarino. 2020 it was a pretty good white year. Let's talk about the story of Heart Hill because I remember I moved in here, moved to Paso in 03, and I remember seeing Heart Hill and looking at that. Oh my God, there's like these trees that look like a heart. And it, there, was no, there was no vineyards around it. It was just a naked hill at yeah. that time. It wasn't until you guys saw the value of that earth and you like, you know, started planting some world class grapes on Heart Hill. What do we know of Heart Hill and how it came to be? And So our knowledge comes from trying to talk to our neighbors and getting as much of the story as we can. I don't know if we have a comprehensive knowledge, but I'll give you the quick. So the Booker brothers owned Heart Hill and they also owned maybe 700 to 1,000 acres around it. And we're farming that since um, the early... 20th century. They were adopted onto the land and they were grain farmers and they worked at sun up to sundown until they died. And they created that copse of, of heart-shaped oak trees in the 1950s and they teamed up with their neighbor and they got a tractor and they took out a couple trees at the top and they shaped it. And it's been like that ever since. I think it's, you know, I didn't grow up around here, but I, I feel like we've talked to a bunch of people who come in and are just very appreciative of it and have seen that ever since they were growing up and valued it and uh so we just we didn't touch it we just framed it with vines and have been trying to be respectful of both the history and the land ever since yeah it's pretty cool yeah and they're those two brothers you know our next door neighbors named after them but they were they were people to respect and um i think look up to and hopefully it's been in movies it's been probably the yeah totally the site of many uh, proposals yeah we got a ton of proposals yeah that's pretty cool (laughs) hard hill so what is the situation now at nine or when someone comes to taste what can they expect an appointment yeah so covid changed things and we probably won't change back at least in the near term who knows we're taking this month by month but um, we do lunch and wine tastings. We do them at the same table. You can have them at the same time. And if you make a reservation, it's highly recommended. And I think that's true of all Paso right now. You just should call ahead. Um, we will kind of give you a greeter wine. We'll have you wait outside for a couple minutes while we set up your table. We pre-pour your flight. And then you can come in and just enjoy yourself. We don't have a time limit on your stay. We just want you to come here and relax and, and enjoy both the food and the wine and the scenery. So, You guys pet-friendly, kid-friendly? How does it work? Yeah, we're pet-friendly. They have to be outside um, um, for food safety reasons. But, uh, yeah, we've got a huge back outdoor area and cool. yeah, kid-friendly as well, as long as you keep track of your kids. Yeah, right. <laughs> Ninerwine.com is the website. So this was a family business, right, started by your parents. Did you know when that you were going to be taking over and you were, uh, that this was going to be something you were going to dive deep into? No. Um, my dad was self-made. So he, you know, that... He's got an interesting story, too. Dick Niner's got a great story. Yeah, he grew up story. in West Virginia, subsistence farming. His dad was a coal miner, and he had eight brothers and sisters, and they would just they had a 10-acre piece of land, and they would grow their own fruits and vegetables, and I think they had a goat and a cow. So he grew up doing that, and I think at the time didn't love it because who likes getting up at 3 in the morning to milk a cow, at least in his description, it's, which is probably glorified at this point. Um, but he did that all the way through high school, and then he went off to college and then went to uh, graduate school, and then he was a businessman his whole life. So he was a small company investor, basically. And middle of his career, he wanted to get back to farming, and he found Paso, and he just felt like this place was awesome. And he liked the people. He liked the land. He saw the long-term opportunity here, just like a lot of people that you talk to here did. Um, so he ultimately found a piece of land to buy out at Bootjack Ranch, and uh, ever since, just kind of built onto it. And then he unfortunately got dementia in 2013, and that's when I stepped in because... I was someone he would trust that would come in and keep it going. So I stepped in and did so respectfully because the wine industry is hard. I didn't have a background in it and have worked hard ever since to try and keep the people we have here and engaged. And also, was that a tough job for you? Did you do it because you felt you had to? I mean, that was must have been a very big move for you. Yeah, it was a big one. I honestly, it, it was an honor. Like, it's pretty cool to try and step in and carry on the family business. And I love the Central Coast. So it was a big life change, but. I think. Where'd you come from? Um, I was down in LA. Okay. Time, so I moved up here. Yeah. But yeah, I, honestly, I think I'm very lucky. I feel like I walked into a situation where we had really good people and we've held on to good people and it's just, it's just a cool industry. So I feel very grateful. Yeah. yeah. And it's probably really got to feel really good in your heart to have done your family so proud. 
with the circumstances and with stepping in. And I mean, this is obviously something they cared very much about. They cared about this area, uh, you know. And yeah, it is. It, it, it's my family and the people who've worked here for so long. Like, there sure. are people that have given, you know, 15 years of your, their life to this company. So yeah. I think we owe it to them. And I think come talk to me in 20 years and tell me if I'm proud because I think that's how long it's going to take. Yeah, <laughs> I hear you, man. Uh, Andy Niner's with us. Niner, NinerWine.com. I love chatting with you and um, it's really cool to see the brand, the way it's like evolved and like the way the wine's evolved and you guys haven't stopped with your eyes on just being good stewards. And that's kind of what the theme of this episode was about. It's a cool theme. And I think there's a, Paso is a cool place because there's a ton of people with that same mindset. And I think there's a lot of people trying to tackle it in different ways. And I think just being here, you learn from looking at your peers and seeing what they do that's smart. And you just kind of every year incorporate more of it. Yeah. How do you want Niner to be kind of thought of in, in that scope, in that realm of wineries that are being, you know, deliberate with their, their care of things like this? Yeah, I hope we earn people's respect over the long term. Like, I think it does take a long-term time period to earn respect in this industry. And I think we're heads down working. And I hope, hopefully in, in the coming years, people, we, number one, we do cool things. Number two, our wines are awesome. And then number three, people respect how we got there. Well, thank you for uh, sitting down with me yeah, right before Earth Day to chat. Oh, my God, this is so great. We have each other in a year. So. I know. It's been a really <laughs> long time. But you've always been so kind. As Like you mentioned, so many people in Paso are so open arms, open cellars. I mean, we've had like, you know, pop-up conversations, walking through your winery and here, taste this out of the barrel. You've always been so cool to me and uh, participating in a lot of the radio stuff. So yeah. it's really, really good to see you. Well, thanks for the support you give us. Yeah, really cheers, my man. Yeah, cheers. Give me that time. We'll get by. We pass on around till the job is done. out in the trees. It will simplify good company. Much and sincere thanks to Andy Niner. Again, check out Niner Wine Estates. Get your appointment on. For more, go to NinerWine.com. Well, we head from the west side to the east side of Paso, up the 101, left on the 46 East, and we show up to Vino Robles, another just aesthetically beautiful place. The wine here is great, as is their hospitality center, and you might have seen a concert here or two at the Vino Robles Amphitheater, literally one of the most technologically advanced amphitheaters for sound and acoustics, and you can't deny the views. Artists love playing here, and I can see why. I can't wait to get back to live shows here once again when the time's right. Kevin Willenborg is the winemaker. He's got winemaking experience all over. So I think a conversation with him about what makes Paso so special is going to be fun. I show up to their winemaking facility and I'm like, have you guys even used this place yet? I mean, it looks brand spanking new. It was made in 2018, but it's just so damn clean. And I meet Kevin in their sensory lab. This is the room where they blend and they taste perfect lighting, pure white tables to check out the wine. Yeah, I dig this. This place is pretty cool. Cheers. Cheers. Good to catch up with you, my man. How you been? Oh, good, good. It's, uh, you know, been a whirlwind. I've um, been here at Vina Robles for, since 2012, and it's just been one thing after another. Well... This is so cool because this is the first time I've ever been to the winery. This was built in 2018. We're in this like state-of-the-art tasting room, like white tables. This is really something. You must be thrilled I, with I, this. Yeah. I, we, we talked about it when I came on board uh, way back when, and uh, there was a new winery in development. A couple of years went by, and, uh, you know, okay, is this ever going to happen? But uh, uh, it's, been a, it's been about five years in the planning, and uh, 2018 we moved in. Uh, just in time for harvest. I'm glad we had a late harvest uh, start uh, date that year. But uh, we were just, we, the lab was just uh, going in. We just uh, had temp countertops. There was this whole room that we're sitting in, the sensory lab was just, uh, it was just uh, two by four studs. Uh, and it and the production area was all fully functional. Though. So when this room is in its full usage, and you're not recording, you know the 
top, one of the top wine podcasts in the nation. What are you doing in here, my friend? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, uh, we, we, we bring all our wines in here for tastings, blendings. Uh, sometimes we do some blind tastings, uh, uh, some competitive sets just to see how we're doing. Yeah, this is a pretty cool room. I'm excited that we're able to one catch up again. It's been a while. Uh, you poured uh, some of your Sauv Blanc, and I just am really excited to talk to you, Kevin. One because you know the subject of this episode is you know from just being a good steward. It's we're, you know we're publishing your Earth Day uh, sustainability uh, whether. This is falling under the framework of organics, biodynamics, or um, all the different ways that we can be sustainable sure. in practice. In which, I mean, SIP certified, we had Beth on a little earlier in the show. You guys are indeed SIP certified. But also, you are a great person to talk to the area of Paso juxtaposition to so many other different kinds of areas because you have made wine in the old world. You have made wine in Napa for almost 20 years. You were San Inez Valley. So not only do you understand California, not only do you understand, you know, not just the central coast of California, but all of it, but you've made wine in the old world. I mean, you really have a sense of the soils here, the dynamic here, and how it plays next to any of those other regions. Sure. You know, everywhere you go, it's uh, obviously a little uh, different. My lens is through the winemaking world, so I've uh, I have had the uh, uh, the experience to be able to kind of uh, you know look at winemaking uh, through the lens of you know in Bordeaux, uh, up in British Columbia, up in Canada, uh, San Inez Valley is a little different. Uh, Napa Valley. I I do believe there's a terroir. I do believe in the French word terroir. It embodies not just, um, uh, you know, the climate, what have you. It it involves the soils. It it involves everything, that geology that kind of comes with it. Uh, And it really shows up in the wine. I believe that every place that you go, there is a sense of terroir where I can... If I were to make uh, similar wines in different regions, there would be a regionality to it. And I think you want to express that. Yeah, and I think what's so interesting about the idea of terroir is that there's, you know, there's some in- intangibles in there. And one of those, and I feel it especially applies to Paso, and I'm so excited to get you your opinion on this because this is a theme that has come up here a lot on this podcast. Uh, the people are really a part of this terroir. Sure. Yeah. No. And, and that's a that that's a new meme with terroir as well. Is is uh, people do make a difference and. Uh, you know, uh, give two winemakers the same grapes, you're going to end up with something a little bit different, right? Uh, so that's uh, definitely definitely the case. But if you look at Paso Robles in the context of, of where we sit, um, uh, you got to remember other regions around the world in the old world, uh, say in Bordeaux or in France or um, uh, northern Europe, they sit at a much higher uh, latitude than when we, where we sit here. I noticed that when I was up in British Columbia, too, much further north in latitude. You've got to realize those growing um, seasons are much more condensed. They, uh, they don't have as long of a growing season. Uh, things bud out a little later. And then usually by fall, when it comes around, um, typically September, October here in Paso, we, we fall into this Indian summer where we have great weather uh, for ripening fruit where where I know in Bordeaux and up in uh, up in Canada you lose that heat uh, as soon as you hit fall in uh, mid September uh, you don 't have that many more days to ripen the fruit so if you have a few days that are inclement more inclement weather you don 't have that many more days to make up for uh, uh, the weather so longer growing season, but also speak to the diurnal shifts we have we celebrate this dynamic here where we have warm temperatures during the day sure. and very cool temperatures at night and yeah. sometimes the the arms the wingspan between those two can be 40 50 degrees yeah no I, yeah you you're you're absolutely right we uh we're just uh, so close to the pacific ocean i think as we sit here we're so, we're uh, maybe within 20 20 miles of the pacific ocean um so uh, we're separated, as you know, Adam, by the, the mountain ranges, but we have that cool air uh, coming through a couple gaps and fissures uh, coming through the Santa Lucia Mountains. And uh, 
we have those swings where we're protected enough where we get up to 100 uh, degrees certain days, uh, but we drop down to the 50s at night. And that's, that's, that's unique uh, for some of the uh, other wine-growing uh, regions that we're in. So we definitely get the warmth, but we get the coolness at night where we get some good acid retention uh, as well. So that's a unique f- feature of Paso. What is the, the fingerprint of Vina Robles on their estate vineyards here. You have half a dozen of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's so cool. There's so many people in Paso who are mindful. And sometimes people hear different frameworks. They hear biodynamics. They hear sustainable. They hear organic farming, SIP certified. What does Vina Robles subscribe to? And maybe even just kind of more broadly, the differences in these and why you guys subscribe to what you do sure. and its significance. Okay. Yeah, so all of our, uh, all the fruit that goes into Vina Robles wines come from our estate vineyards. We have six estate vineyards in Paso Robles. Uh, they cover uh, five of the 11 districts here in Paso. Uh, uh, you would know them. Creston. Creston, El Pomar. Yeah. Geneseo, Estrella, and we actually have a couple of vineyards in Adelaide District nice. as well. So, uh, so uh, these big- are becoming more. These people, they, just the fact that we're starting to mention them more, you're starting to see them on bottles, and sure. it's only been a few years that this has been like a thing. But the sub districts of uh, the sub AVAs is really something that is. I feel people are kind of they're cluing into a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. I think the time is ripe. I think Paso Robles first had to get recognized as as a region of. Uh, it would have been too confusing to try and parcel these things out. Um, uh, what's more is we've learned a lot uh, yeah, over the years as far as uh, you know what grows uh, well here, what characteristics you get uh, in this particular area uh, compared to another. Um, you know, uh, so I, I think that's uh, that's coming to fruition. Um, all of our vineyards, uh, we've. Uh, you know, uh, our ownership truly believes in, in uh, caretaking for the future, uh, creating a legacy, uh, wanting to uh, be very, uh, you know, ethical and, uh, you know, friendly to our neighbors around here. So we've, we've adopted all of our state vineyards uh, with the practice of SIP certification, sustainable in practice. Uh, I've worked with other methods in the past, uh, certainly uh, organic farming and um, haven't really done biodynamic. I've uh, looked into it, but it's a, it's another variant, if you will, of more uh, organic principles. Sometimes they throw in a little mysticism, things of that nature. Um, but uh, we we like SIP certification uh, mainly for me. I look at it as more of a quality stamp, uh, you know, of uh, what we can do out there uh, and uh, and ripen the fruit and and uh, SIP certification uh, it. It checks more boxes. It's uh, there are all these um, factors that were were inspected. The third party um, annual certification, um, but it also has an element where it, it takes into account the environment. Uh, you know your carbon emissions, how good you are to the uh, to the earth, uh, your social responsibility. To, how good you are to your employees? Yeah, to your employees, uh, your neighbors, uh, your uh, your community. Um, uh, so we think it just uh, checks a, a few more boxes, and and in the end, uh, it, I think you end up uh, with uh, just as good, if not better, uh, grapes if you farm it right. Uh, Kevin Willenborg, the winemaker for Vino Robles, this uh, Sauvignon Blanc, super good. I'm excited to taste the next one and talk about the significance of the arborist. Okay. This is an estate red blend. And um, for someone who has maybe not been super familiar with Vino Robles wine, what is kind of like your MO when it comes to representing this Paso fruit? I mean, are you a Rhone house, a Bordeaux house, a blend house? You kind of want to be a little bit of everything to cover all the boxes with, with no matter what people like or how do you look at it? Yeah, well, you know, Paso is such a diverse region and, you know, I think there are uh, even, there are areas that I have my preferences for certain varieties yet I see certain people growing them and, uh, you know, in areas that maybe wouldn't be to my liking, but at the same time, I think uh, there is a lot of diversity here. Uh, so I think you can grow uh, some great Rome varietals. I think you can grow some uh, very nice Bordeaux varietals. And 
so for Vina Robles, we do a little bit of both. Uh, again, we have six estate vineyards in five different districts. I'm curious where wine took you or how it took you to Paso. Why, why the move in 2012? Well, it's, um, you know, uh, we had, my wife and I, we had lived on the Central Coast before. We were down in San Inez Valley. Uh, we moved, we had an opportunity up in Napa Valley. We moved up there. I uh, made wine uh, for a couple of years uh, uh, up there. Uh, I, I've been uh, to Napa before, but the, my last stint was for a couple of years. Uh, I was at Inglenook. And um, I got reacquainted with, uh, you know, the soils again and uh, some of the nice, uh, some of the the nice terroir uh, right there against the uh, the Mayacamas, the Rutherford bench. Uh, but my family really liked it back down here on the Central Coast. I was just, I couldn't find, uh, I, I would say about a, a long time ago, I didn't think Paso had the infrastructure that really was going to sustain it. But it, oh, has, it does it, now, baby. <laughs> it, 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 it has come a long, long way. Um, and I, I think the time is... is uh, uh, it's right, but there's a there's a lot of people, not just one or two players. There are a ton of play, uh, players who have a vested interest of, in uh, in uh, promoting Passerobles and putting a little bit more effort into the ground and into their winemaking. And so there's this critical mass. And I think it was uh, it was a good time to move down here in uh, 2012. Uh, I, I I firmly believed, I've seen some of the fruit prior to that could uh, be done well here in Paso Robles, but I think uh, what convinced me was the infrastructure, everything was about right, and uh, not just that, the ownership, uh, uh, when I ran into the ownership at Vina Robles, uh, had a long-term vision and a legacy, they owned the vineyards, they really had, uh, they wanted to develop this for the future. Yeah, Hans and the team here, and I've been fortunate enough to work with uh, the folks here at Vino Robles in different capacities. I've had you on you know, the radio several times. I've always loved working with you in uh, all the different capacities of Vino Robles. And you know, just if you're a fan, you know all the different stuff that uh, they do here. But to get your opinion on Paso with all that experience from Napa, San Inez, uh, Bordeaux, really special. Speaking of special, this wine, the Arborist, this is a red blend. It's dedicated to uh, the founder here, Hans Neff, and named for the Arborist who saved the life of an iconic 300-plus-year-old oak tree that's featured on the label. This wine has a lot of significance to you guys. It, it does. This comes, uh, the, the tree on our label uh, is uh, actually a tree from our first vineyard that uh, uh, Mr. Neff bought uh, back in 1997. And when planting it, this, uh, it was a big oak tree. There was a little bit of uh, uh, neglect to it or so. It, it, uh, he, he employed an arborist eventually to kind of... Um, uh, to trim it and to you know cut off some of the dead wood, give it some it love, going, yeah, give it some love. Uh, it's a three hundred year old oak tree. It would have been very easy just to yank this thing out and uh, and then uh, have more uh, uh, arable land to, to plant, but uh, he didn't. Uh, he didn't believe in that, and it just uh, he wanted to leave all the oak trees he could uh, in place. So he worked around it and he fixed it up, and that became the emblem of. Uh, of uh, Vina Robles. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's really a beautiful tree. And it's, it's one of you know, these types of trees, these oaks and these live oaks, um, you see them on the hills in Paso and they're just so special to look at, especially when the sun is setting the right way and the sun is coming from behind. I mean, it's just like you just stare lost at these, these beautiful beasts. And what's so cool about this wine, the Arborist, you're working with a nonprofit, One Tree Planted, mm -hmm. and you're planting trees with a portion of the proceeds every time somebody buys a bottle of the Arborist. Yeah, that, no, that's right. I think uh, to point uh, a certain amount of uh, proceeds go uh, back to the uh, One Tree Planted um, nonprofit organization. So, so already we planted over ten thousand trees. Damn, um, uh, just uh, from the proceeds of the arborist. The One Tree Planted has uh, their organization. They've already planted overall. Uh, 16 million trees in the ground. 16 million. Man. So that uh, we, uh, uh, our hats off to them for, uh, for, for taking the cause. I think we found a good partner uh, for this. And it, and it really kind of aligns our, 
our mindset uh, uh, to with our owner's vision and a way of giving back and, and also sustaining uh, for the future. You know, you can't have uh, good wine without uh good grapes. And we know it starts in the vineyard, but so much of that ideology towards sustainability and good stewardship, it does get continued into the cellar. And, you know, with this new winery and some of the features of it, I'm sure there are aspects that when you take over the grapes and when they hit the concrete uh, after they've been picked, your mission to being a good steward isn't done there. No. Once the grapes are picked, they do come to the winery. uh, And when we designed this facility, there were four There are four design considerations. Quality was the biggest one. Flexibility for the future, because I realize uh, one day I may be gone and another winemaker may want to utilize this facility a little bit differently than how I do. Ask 100 winemakers, you're going to get 100 different answers. So I can't, uh, I have to have a little humility there that it's not going to just be me who's going to eventually inherit this facility. Efficiency. You'll always be my favorite. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks, Adam. (laughs) Uh, efficiency is is a big part of um, what uh, uh, this facility was designed for, uh, and that that's there's a quality focus to that too. If you're moving things around, you're you're claustrophobic. Uh, you just make uh, sometimes your cellar crew doesn't uh, do things as well as they should. And sustainability was uh, a big factor as well. So we put in um, a one megawatt solar array that we uh, share. Uh, uh, it, it takes care of the vineyard uh, needs adjacent vineyard or Huero Vineyard, which is a pretty sizable vineyard of ours. Um, uh, and our winery needs, uh, it more than offsets our carbon uh, footprint um, uh, for electricity. Uh, rainwater harvesting uh, with, the, with the roof, we, we harvest that. We, uh, we uh, send it with our process water for uh, reuse out in the vineyard. Uh, so a lot of features were incorporated uh, into the winery to be able to... Uh, this must feel like... I've talked to folks like Scott Holly when he was at Law or um, you know our friends at, at Kevin, maybe at uh, Halter, and these places that have wineries that are just like, wow, this is or epic, you know, Jordan. Um, this must be like... It's got to be so cool to be in this brand new place. The vessels you need, the machinery, where you want it. It's you got the, You're considering the sun as far as on the crush pad. There's so many things that go into consideration, but it must feel really good when you're working a harvest here. It, you know, it's, it, this has been a long time coming. And, it, and we, we put everything I could think of that I thought would make a quality difference for winemaking. It's not meant to be a show place. Uh, it's meant to process fruit. And don't get me wrong, uh, uh, the biggest part is still growing the fruit out in the vineyard. You still got to get the vineyards uh, to produce the fruit. Um, soils make a difference. Your canopy management, uh, how you're doing your irrigation or lack thereof makes a big difference. And uh, But, you know, getting the fruit ripe and not just the, the flavors, but the textures and the skins and seeds, all of that plays a big role. But then then you need to extract it or uh, 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 once you pick the grapes and preserve that into the winemaking process. And there's, uh, there's some things, some tools that can probably help you along the way uh, to that. I mean, we invested in an optical uh, sorter. Um, I've Talk tried, about toys. I've tried to. Damn. It was not a, a, an inexpensive endeavor. No. But our, our ownership saw, uh, saw the value. That's like a Lamborghini and a half. I've... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've tried to berry sort for years, and, and it's, uh, I'd like to get a hand crew in here to say that we could hand berry sort and do a very effective job, but the reality of it is I've, uh, I've worked with this over the years. So for someone who doesn't know, an optical sorter is this um, incredibly cool and technologically advanced sorting machine that uses like television green screen technology and uh, like a bona fide camera, like a TV camera. Yeah. And you can program the unit to spit out, say, I'm going to put in Grenache. You could program a unit to spit off the grapes to whatever your specifications are, this color, ripeness, whatever. And it just goes, and all you hear is like this little air going, and it just, and then what ends up happening, what ends up happening is you have this immaculately sorted sorted uh, specimen of your fruit. Yeah. Well, you know, I got to give it to you, man, because not only are you good at what you do, you're always fun to talk to. And, you know, for 
Hans and the team and, and your winemaking team here to be putting sustainability in practice and good stewardship of the earth and the, the blessings that we've been given and putting that above everything else, having your fans appreciate that. I know it's it's an expensive endeavor, it's an investment, but it really does pay off and uh, it's really cool that Vina Roba is, is such a deliberate and thoughtful way at going about that. So it, you guys are doing a great job. Yeah, we have we have great owners who really want to kind of see this through and, and for the future. Uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, and uh, they want to cooperate with our neighbors and want to leave a lasting legacy. So did you enjoy the conversation? It's always just refreshing sitting down and just, uh, you know, talking with you. I feel like you make it a, a treat. It's pretty easy. So give me that time. We'll get by. We pass on down till the job is camped out in the trees. It will simplify good company. Mucho thank yous to Kevin, the winemaker. Also, Catherine, for setting everything up and just being fantastic. Such a great team there. Kevin was nice enough, actually, to give me a little tour of the place. Man, all the bells and whistles, this winery. Cold storage, different barrel storage with uh, different temperatures, tanks that can auto-pump over, that optical sorter he mentioned. I mean, all the toys. And I am a sucker for a good cellar tour. If you ever get a chance at one, I don't care where you are, no matter how big or small the winery is, take it. It's such a nice gesture for someone to offer one to you. I mean, they see this stuff all the time. So if they're offering to take you around, let them. All cellars are so unique and so cool. And besides, is there any better smell? The cool, brisk air and the smell of a cellar is top-notch, in my opinion. And I loved walking around the new facility at Vino Robles. For more on them, and especially to make an appointment to taste with them and visit their hospitality center, go to vinorobles.com. This episode was a lot of fun. And if you like what you hear, please share the podcast with a friend. And it always helps when you rate, review, and subscribe as well. Where Wine Takes You is executive produced by Joel Peterson and Paso Wine. Associate producer is Jen Bravo. Where Wine Takes You is recorded, edited, and produced by yours truly. Make sure you hit up PasoWine.com before your next trip to Paso Wine Country. Also, we have our Paso Wine Fest auction. It goes May 10th through 16th, but you can actually see the lots, and they are insane. Check it out. Go to PasoWine.com. I'm serious. You'll be glad you did. Next time you're cruising around the Central Coast, make sure to tune me in on your radio, Coast 104.5, for my morning show, Up and Adam in the Morning, and the wine stuff, the cork dorks, on the Crush 92.5 Crush925.com Wine Country Radio, baby Thanks for sharing some of your time with me I'm your host, Adam Montiel And wine took me here, literally I can't wait to have you share with me Where wine takes you And give me that sound We pass on down till the job is Camped out in the trees It will simplify good comp Give me that sound We pass on down till the job is out in the trees, it will simplify and good company. Give me that moon sound, we'll get by. We pass all around till the job is camped out in the trees, it will simplify and good company. With that moon sound, we'll get by. We pass all around till the job is camped out in the trees, it will simplify and good company.